Welcome into a uh, bit of a breaking news edition of the News for Jags podcast. I'm Jamal St. Cyr alongside Justin Barney and the Jaguars officially have parted ways with head coach Urban Meyer. It's been uh, quite the year to say the least. Yeah, quite the year and you know I think we even talked last week on the podcast that we thought Urban would make it through the year but you know again we have a Tom Pelissero report from NFL.com last Saturday. We have a Josh Lambeau story from the Tampa Bay Times that broke on Wednesday afternoon and compounded with everything that Shad Khan had seen. He said enough. All right, let, let's fill in. Let's, uh, I guess, go step by step since some of this stuff happened since we've done our last podcast. The first report from Tom Pelissero saying that there was dysfunction on the Jaguars coaching staff, uh, partially that Urban Meyer had some sort of conversation with his assistants implying that they were losers and uh, he was a winner. Uh, a part of that report also said that Urban Meyer got into a altercation with Jaguars wide receiver Marvin Jones Jr., uh, where Marvin Jones left the facility. Another coach had to convince him to return, and then Marvin Jones and Urban Meyer got into an argument at practice. Uh, another part of that same report was that uh, Urban Meyer was the one who called for the benching of James Robinson and that the running backs coach was none too pleased that Urban Meyer continued to throw him under the bus multiple times throughout the week. But that's just the first report. Uh, later on in the week, uh, actually I guess it was last night now, was the, the Josh Lambeau story where apparently during training camp or well early in the season prior to a preseason game, uh, when Josh Lambeau had missed a few kicks, or while he was stretching, Urban Meyer, according to Lambeau, walks over, kicks him. Uh, Lambeau described it as a five on a scale of one to ten, and tells him to uh, make your kicks expletive. Yeah, and, you uh, know, I don't think Josh, unlike you know probably many NFL players, you get called a vulgar name or referred to as that. That's locker room talk. Right, I think that's I, that's off to the side. When I first saw that part, I said it was okay, but it was the response when Josh Lambeau says, "Don't kick me." And uh, he said, Urban replied to him, I'm the head coach. I'll kick you whenever the bleep I want. Yes. Like, at that point, I said, oh, we've gone past, like, just being a rough coach to, eh, that ain't good. And, you know, in, in, in Urban's defense, and I'm not going to play defend Urban, but, yeah, he could have been playing. Who knows? I mean, it, it could have been blown out of proportion. And I think, um, you know, from, from reading and, and digging a little bit deeper into that, the Jaguars didn't think it was as serious as – um, you know, as Josh Lambeau made it out to seem in their inter- his interview yesterday with the Tampa Bay Times. Um, so I don't think the Jaguars took it necessarily as seriously as Josh portrayed it. Uh, but when it came out and hit the airwaves, that story had quite a bit more momentum and traction than probably it was conveyed to the Jaguars at the time, I think. Because, you know, he reported it through his agent to the Jaguars' in-house legal team. Mm-hmm. Um, they confirmed that through the Tampa Bay Times report uh, that Josh did, in fact, do that. They said that was a, that was factually correct. That did happen. Uh, but they did not pursue that anymore. Josh did not pursue that uh, and so on. But, you know, so Jaguars have had this issue they've known about with Josh Lambeau. Yeah. This was not new news to them yesterday when they – you know, they were asked for comment about this uh, from the Times, and they responded to it, and it came out. This was not catching Jacksonville off, off guard, but no. uh, the the blowback, how it painted Urban Meyer again in such a bad light. And, you know, again, you're not talking – NFL is not a business where you need to get arrested for something to happen. It's not something where you, um, you know, you, you hit somebody, you're putting handcuffs – Okay, that you're in trouble there. The NFL is an image conscious league, yes. and Urban Meyer has dented the Jaguars' uh, bronze statue multiple times with transgressions. And those public relations and and 
just public relations snafus, those cost something, and it ultimately cost Urban Meyer his job. Yeah, and, uh, you know, uh, you can't do that. I don't think, like you mentioned, the Jaguars were aware of this, that this wasn't like the final nail in the coffin. It was the the bad publicity from it that probably exactly. uh, was the final nail and made them make this rash decision. I mean, realistically, they had pro- I, th- I fully believe there was a decision that had already been made. Shad Khan had a closed-door meeting with the Jaguars coaching staff where Urban Meyer wasn't even involved. And from there, I think Shad had already somewhat made a decision. I think the plan was probably to wait till after, you know, if they lose this weekend or wait till the end of the season. But once you have a story like this coming, that's when you start seeing the bad publicity, the blowback, and the PR staff gets woken up in the middle of the night to be let know that uh, Urban Meyer no longer with the team. So I think that's where you come that rash decision because teams don't fire their coach on a Thursday before a game, not not when they have another option. And, you know, Shad Khan, you spoke with him earlier this week on – uh, in a small gathering of media on, on his yacht, the Kismet, and he said, point blank, I'm not going to be a helter-skelter coach where I'm just going to go ahead and fire my uh, an helter-skelter owner and fire my coach on a whim. I've been very patient. That's my history. That's kind of my trademark is my patience, and I'm not a knee-jerk reaction owner. I'm not going to start being a knee-jerk reaction owner. And I don't think he had intentions of pulling the rug out from Urban Meyer this week. I think it um, snowballed with the Pelissaro reports, and then just days later, you know, you're talking in less than a week span, you have to put out a fire of you're calling your coaches losers. Mm-hmm. You've got a huge argument with Marvin Jones because you're you're taking cheap shots at the receivers unit, whether it be in public or, or private. And, you know, all this rumors of infighting, you know, the Pelissaro report was not the first time we've heard from a national media talking head about issues with Urban Meyer and his locker room and everything. This is this has been going on, you know, almost since he got into the building. He's had issues going on. So um, this is not an isolated incident. I think taken individually, okay, if you're winning games and you have these, um, you know, these these rogue reports about things, okay, that's one thing. But you're two and eleven. You're rubbing everybody in the building the wrong way. Your franchise quarterback is a guy you need to build around. He's struggling. You're calling your coaches losers. I mean, Urban vehemently denied that. But, again, where there's enough smoke and there's enough people talking in this business and you're hearing from players off the record and you're hearing from coaches off the record, Urban Meyer was not going to be coaching this team next year. I think just move happened just uh, probably four or five weeks before it was going to happen. It just got out of hand. I mean, and, you know, I was here – I remember when Tom Coughlin was let go, and I remember how excited players were. You know, the first thing that they did was fix the clocks off of Coughlin time. Uh, you know, it had a similar feel at practice today. Players out there, I mean, everybody was dancing in a great mood. I mean, one guy even jokingly walks over and kicks the pads and says, I'll kick you whenever I want. You know, play, players, I, I think it had gotten to a point where many of them weren't on the same page as Urban. Some of them, he didn't bother them, but... It wasn't like a coach that inspired them to want to run through a wall for him. And you even heard it after the last game where you got guys like Shaquille Griffin, who is uh, the ultimate spokesperson for that team, saying, you know what, we just got to worry about the players that's in that locker room. Like, that that's a, an indictment of the coaching situation mm-hmm. in and of itself. You could see it. And it's time for them to move, fo- move forward. And uh, Daryl Bevel will take over. He's at, at least an experienced interim head coach now. He's uh, This will be his second stint. He led the Lions last season after they moved on from Matt Patricia. So we'll see if um, the Daryl Bevel interim 
era uh, is fruitful in these last couple of games. Uh, but I guess now it's time to start looking forward. Uh, now we can legitimately start our head coaching search and see who the next guy is that will get a chance to lead the Jaguars. This is going to be uh, a sought-after job. I know some people are like, well, last year it was a sought-after job too. But it's still a sought-after job because yeah. now you have Trevor in place. You still have a ton of cap space. The owner is committed to building a new practice facility, upgrading the stadium. These are like There, there have been additions to this job to make it even more attractive. And I'll be interested in... In my opinion, I think it's time for Shad to take this thing down to the studs. Get rid of the GM. Like, I'm sorry, Trent. Like, you were part of the urban th- the urban thing. You built the roster for this year. You gotta go. So let's let's get a new GM. Let's start with a clean slate, and and we go from there. You're talking the third GM in two years uh, coming into Jacksonville, and well, this yeah, but, time he'll get it right. Yeah, and you his know, infamous statement. This time I got it yeah, right. Yeah. So yeah, that was unbelievable. <laughs> Um, but, you know, but going back to the urban thing, and I think, you know, Shad reading between the lines, you know, he mentioned to you last week or earlier this week. It about, feels like forever ago. Yeah, it, fe- <laughs> yeah, it, feels, it feels weeks ago. Uh, but he mentioned to you and the other reporters that, you know, Trevor, before he was drafted, said, if you draft me, I want to retire a Jaguar. That's right. Okay? You keep Urban Meyer in place. That statement starts thinning out. You know, Trevor's not going to want to retire a Jaguar. Uh, if Urban Meyer is still in place. And two things I thought were telling the last couple weeks, and I really think Trevor Lawrence asserted his role in this franchise when last week he spoke up on James Robinson's behalf. Mm -hmm. Um, Trevor said he's on the field. He sees what's going on. James needs to be out there. And I think that was almost a, you know, an under-the-radar power move from Trevor Lawrence because I think they probably knew that, Urban Meyer was the one making the decision for James Robinson to not be on the field. When Bernie Parmalee, quarterbacks all yeah, grown up. So you know your quarterback speaks up last week about James Robinson. Um, that issue is is resolved. Mm-hmm. Um, and then this week, you know, Trevor came out uh, publicly yesterday on Wednesday and said, "There's just too much drama around this team. I wish there, I wish there were things I could say more verbally and publicly, um, but he's not in a position to do that. I don't think he wants to create more drama." But Trevor's not used to this drama. Trevor does not want this drama to continue. So if you're Shad Khan, you've had your young quarterback step up and say two pretty uh, bold statements in as many weeks. And, again, you you look at that thing, you got a franchise quarterback who says he wants to be here, says he wants to retire a Jaguar. And if you're Shad Khan, you're dangerously close to losing that or watching that slip away the more you hang on to Urban Meyer. So right. I thought it was a, a bold statement and really a good couple weeks for Trevor off the field, um, really kind of asserted his dominance um, in this franchise, even though you're not seeing it on the field, the four-interception game last week. But I think Trevor Lawrence verbally and vocally uh, became a bigger leader for this franchise with his words over the last two weeks. Oh, 110%. And Shad talked about how he can just tell, even though the stats aren't there, that Trevor is just different than any other quarterback that – has been on this team since he's owned them. He can just see the way Car- Trevor carries himself. And reportedly, reportedly, I can't confirm this one, uh, Shad and Trevor had a meeting uh, earlier this week prior to, uh, obviously, the Urban Meyer news. So it's possible that Trevor actually did at least have his opinion heard by Shad Khan as to how he felt toward the situation. And that's what you have to do. To me, if you're Shad Khan, you don't want to give the, the keys to the asylum to the inmate, so to speak. But Trevor Lawrence is the head warden Yes. The, the asylum. You want his input. Yeah. You know, you want him to say, okay, this is what I need. I need more. I need 50 more security guards to uh, to keep this thing under control. I, if I'm Shad Khan, 
I'm going directly to Trevor and asking his input on stuff because he's going to be a quarterback in this league for 10, 12 more years, and ideally you want him quarterbacking the Jacksonville Jaguars. And I think he's shown uh, flashes this season in spite of extremely difficult circumstances uh, that he can be a leader, and I think he's going to be a leader for whatever coach comes in here next year uh, as we delve into that situation. All right, so let's look forward to who could possibly be coming in. Before we get to names, let's throw out a couple of characteristics and we'll get our our takes on each one of them. All right, the first one that I'll I'll look at is do you want a guy who's been a previous NFL head coach? Is that a priority? I think it's, uh, you know, I I would want coordinator, yeah, high-level coordinator experience, or NFL head coach experience. Um, I, I don't think it's off limits to say um, that if, if he's not been a head coach before, but if he's been a longtime coordinator, he's proven he can run uh, good offenses or defenses at the NFL level for good teams. I mean, I don't want uh, the next coach to be a poaching more Lions guys um, for, you know, Daryl Bevel kind of guys. I want, you know, guys who have been in this league, successful programs, um, and have done it for a period of time. So I think it's it's coordinator uh, with a history, or I think you've got um, an NFL coach, a retread of some kind, or even a current NFL coach, whatever the case may be. I want, you know, it's kind of like an SEC program. You want a guy, and, you know, Scott Strickland has said that before. Other programs in the SEC said, hey, we want a coach who's had that SEC experience because it's the best conference in college football. They know how it's run. They've done it here on this level before. Um, So I think, in a sense, I think the Jaguars need a high-level coordinator from a successful franchise or kind of a quarterback-friendly coach, an offensive-friendly coach um, who's done it as a a head coach before. I mean, I know names like Doug Peterson have been thrown out there before. Um, You know, a guy like Brian Dable. I mean, do you go with that guy even though he's not had that NFL head coaching experience? Yeah, I I don't think an NFL head coach is a must, but obviously coordinator experience definitely is if it's the first uh, time head coach. I definitely think the staff needs to be surrounded by people that have been there before and been a former head coach. Urban Meyer did not do that. This was his first go around and there were no former head coaches on his staff. Good coaches surround themselves with good coaches. Yeah, guys so, who knows more as much or more than them. Right. So if if it's a first time head coach, I would like to see them surround themselves with guys who have been head coaches before. I'm okay if you haven't been a head coach because it's tough to find a good head coach or a good former head coach because Who's it, sitting on the market. Yeah, right. it's it's tough to find that. So I'm okay if you're a first go around guy, but then one of those coordinators, at least one, needs to be a former head coach who can kind of advise a little bit along the way. All right, my next question is, do you want an offensive guy or a defensive guy, a guy who can call plays for one side of the ball, or do you just want a a management guy? I want an offensive guy. I think that's with Trevor Lawrence being in year two of his contract and potentially sit up here for a long time. You know, I like what Joe Cullen has done, but this offense, we've seen what happens when you don't have a good offense, good offensive system. We're living it right now. Uh, And, you know, seven games, I mean, seven games, six touchdowns, first shutout since 09. I think it's got to be offense, especially with Trevor Lawrence right now. You've got to have an offensive guy. I mean, ideally, Trevor Lawrence and the Jaguars get that offense up and running and humming along, and you can start winning 35, 30 games. Um, You know, I think the defense, if it can be good enough, is good enough. Um, but I think it's got to be offensive heavy, offensive minded head coach, coordinators. It's got to be built around Trevor for him to survive, him to succeed and thrive. And I think it's got to be offense all the way. I, I'm right there with you. I mean, this team goes as Trevor goes. The NFL is offensive oriented. F- points put fans in the stands. Like if the Jaguars were losing 43 to 40 games right now, the bank would be full Absolutely. for every game. Uh, and people would not have a problem with that because it would be fun to watch. 
realistically, like that Bills game, I enjoyed watching it. You probably enjoyed watching it. But a lot of fans did not really enjoy that win because of the style of game that it was. So I think 110%, it has to be an offensive guy. I think after the Urban Meyer micromanagement disaster, you need a coach that's going to call some plays, work hand-in-hand with Trevor. Because if you start winning games, your coordinators get poached. So ideally, you have a coach who can work with Trevor along the way. So that way, that relationship is built in. If there is turnover at coordinator, the system is still in place and Trevor is still in a stable environment. So uh, that's what I, I that's one of the other things. And then I, I think the, the last one goes without saying, and then we kind of mentioned it. Uh, does it have to be from the NFL or would you go with another college route? I, I think we can skip through that. Yeah, section. we can. We can skip. Straight I mean, the college that. coaches for <laughs> for every Jimmy Johnson, you know, people make so many the, failures you, for every Jimmy Johnson. People say he's one in 15 his first year and, you know, he's terrible and look what he did long term. OK, there's. Urban Meyer and Jimmy Johnson are not at that same level right now. Jimmy came in, he had some leverage, he had some power, he had future Hall of Famers everywhere in that lineup, and he had the the kind of mojo to do it. And uh, he built through the draft, great trade through uh, Herschel Walker, um, and Urban was not in that league. Urban is far closer to the Bobby Petrinos and uh, the Chip Kellys of the world. Uh, than ever he'll be to a Jimmy Johnson. And, you know, looking at, at Urban stats, he's 2-11, 154 winning percentage in the NFL, and, and that goes down as one of the three worst NFL head coaches with uh, with that experience of 13 games or more uh, in one season. Nick Saban beat him again. Yeah, Cam Cameron <laughs> and Rod Rust uh, had lower winning percentage. They were 1-15 in, uh, in their years, in their respective years. And the other guy, Urban Meyer, is tied with right now, David Culley. Ooh. And David Culley actually beat Urban Meyer in week one. So there's been – Urban is one of the, the four worst coaches uh, in NFL history since that 70 AFL-NFL merger uh, in terms of winning percentages. So you've got those four guys there, uh, Urban, Culley, Rust, and Cam. Cameron, um, and those have been the four worst. And, you know, Cully may win a game or two before the end of the season. Might so, win this weekend. In, <laughs> and, you know, so when we say Urban Meyer was a bad coach, and I know there's been stuff made about, you know, the, the media not giving Urban a fair shake and uh, being too scrutiny uh, on him and trying to, to talk Urban and make him uh, make statements that were missteps and stuff. I mean, the guy was a historically bad NFL coach. I mean, you're you're talking two wins, 154 winning percentage. Yes, the Jaguars needed to uh, reset a hard reset. Yes, this roster is uh, you know not up to the standards of, of a typical NFL team, but you amplify that with his missteps off the field. And Cam Cameron, Rod Rust, David Culley, those guys are not making those boneheaded decisions that Urban Meyer did in this social media age, and uh, he paid for it. He paid dearly for it with, um, you know, with his job. And uh, I do think it, he he probably deserved to uh, to get the axe after everything that's come out. I don't think Shad Khan uh, kicked him to the curb for any media reasons or anything like that. I think he was supremely disappointed uh, in a coach that he put all of his trust in, and uh, really really backfired on him. Yeah, so let's let's throw out a couple of coaching candidates. Uh, we mentioned that the GM is definitely part of this. Um, I wrote up something for NewsForJax.com. I'll get your take on it. So I, I put together a general manager, Jeff Ireland, former Miami Dolphins GM. Kind of failed there, but he's uh, really rehabbed himself with the New Orleans Saints, rehabbed their draft process. The Saints have been one of the better drafting teams since Ireland arrived. He put together that really good class with Alvin Kamara, Marshawn Lattimore, a, a lot of talent for that team there. Uh, you bring Ireland 
Ireland here to help fix the draft process for the Jags because, well, they're bad at drafting, and we've seen that over and over again. And then after that, I paired him with uh, offensive or with uh, an offensive-minded head coach, Kellen Moore from uh, Dallas. Moore, obviously, a young coordinator, um, and he he's a former player, played in Detroit. And I, I tabbed some of those Detroit connections uh, to get uh, to get his coaching staff, his offensive coordinator. I went Jim Caldwell, who's currently with the Dolphins, assistant head coach and uh, quarterback coach. We give him a little bit of a promotion, and he gets to work with his former player. And he and one of his other head coaches while he was in Detroit, Jim Swartz. I Tabbed him for the defensive coordinator. So I actually went with like a whole Detroit thing here. But uh, Jim Swartz didn't is, learn. Did, I, I, did not I learn. I guess not. But Swartz and Caldwell are extremely respected around the NFL. Swartz stepped down on his own prior to the Doug Peterson situation in Philadelphia. Kind of said he was mulling retirement, but then took a position with the Titans coaching staff as a defensive assistant. He goes back to being a coordinator for his former player who he spent some time with in Detroit. And so now you get Kellen Moore, who, who has the possibility of being an offensive whiz kid for you. You pair your, your young quarterback with a former NFL quarterback who's one of the best play callers in the NFL right now. You get uh, Jim Caldwell, who is widely renowned and questioned why he's not in consideration more for head coaching gigs, who helps to give you some stability and mentorship there for your young coach. Plus, uh, Jim Swartz, who, again, also been a head coach, had some success along the way as a defensive coordinator, has won a Super Bowl with the Eagles. He keeps that attacking style defense that Joe Cullen brought and gives you some more veteran leadership there. And uh, you try and move forward with that. That's my uh, that's my whole offseason, a GM to coach. What do you think? Yeah, you know, I, I people model themselves, or you know, if you talk to NFL coaches, uh, you know, my, Urban Meyer especially liked what the Saints did in the draft, and he liked what the Bills did, how they built their franchise through the draft, shrewd free agency signings, draft and keep. So you look at a guy like Brandon Bean, what he's done with Sean McDermott in mm-hmm. Buffalo, and it's been a very quick and successful build, and they've kept the guys together and stuff. Uh, Ireland has been masterful in the Saints in drafting. I mean, you look at some of their draft picks. Kamara was not a first-round guy. Um, He's found some gems. He's done some shrewd salary cap management to somehow keep kicking the can down the road in New Orleans and have money to sign guys, put a competitive team on the field. And one day that bill's going to come due like it's going to come due with the Rams. Uh, But nonetheless, the Saints are competitive year year after year, even absorbing a Drew Brees kind of loss. Jeff Ireland's time in Miami was a debacle, uh, and he's really re- kind of rehabbed his image in New Orleans. So um, you go from that, maybe that coaching tree, GM kind of GM tree in Buffalo or New Orleans, and positivity. Yeah, and you know, I kind of thought about it when I said Ireland is the GM because I really think he's one of the top general manager candidates out there. Um, I said, well, who does he have direct ties to? Well, New Orleans has Pete Carmichael, their offensive coordinator. He's interviewed for head coaching jobs previously but never gotten one. Uh, Their defensive coordinator, Dennis Allen, previous Raiders head coach, but I kind of ruled him out just because I think the Jaguars need an offensive coach. But Dennis Allen, again, an offense, a defensive coordinator, Colin Plays, considered a top defensive coordinator right now, but he did fail with the Raiders, but maybe he's learned something and gets a second shot. Another place that you could go if you were thinking, if we were kipping with the, the Ireland coaching tree, is you look up to that Detroit coaching staff. I mean, maybe Aaron Glenn is their defensive coordinator. He hasn't exactly been a coordinator long or shined long, but he is also a very well-respected name around the NFL, um, and he's a former player. 
who's been around uh, the AFC South a time or two, spent some time with the Texans. So, I mean, there, there are definitely different options. You can go a different uh, general manager candidate. That's just what I came up with, and once I threw that Kellen Moore name out there, I actually got some messages from folks uh, saying, telling me how much uh, a lot of the players with the Cowboys or former Cowboys love Kellen Moore and are just you know so impressed with him and think he will be a good head coach. Uh, so, you know, that's definitely not a bad one to interview. There are some other names that will float out there. I mean, maybe a Gerard Mayo with uh, the Patriots. He's their inside linebacker coach. Um, you know, obviously Eric Bieniemy will be a name that floats out there um, and be in consideration. Brian Dabo was a favorite of many in the Bills organization last year. Um, I mean, Byron Leftwich. Byron Leftwich. I know a lot, a lot of people. Of he yep. has been photoshopped into Jags gear. Um, and he, the only thing that scares me with Byron, and I know a lot of fans have bought in to bring Byron back, he's going to care and he'll fix this. How much success did he have prior to Tom Brady? Yeah, I mean, he did okay in Pittsburgh. Me. He did okay in Pittsburgh. Um, but again, you're, you're, you're talking like we talked, an unproven kind of guy. Although yeah. he's been, he's been in Pittsburgh and, and done well with Tom Brady, won a Super Bowl last year. Um, with the greatest quarterback of all time, albeit an older version of, uh, of that. Um, and he's continuing to, to thrive. Will he leave at Tampa Bay and, and come to Jacksonville? Probably for a head coaching job. If we were poaching someone from that Buccaneers po- coaching staff, I'd take Todd Bowles. Yeah. Former, former head, head coach. coach. He's always been a great defensive coordinator. I mean, his defenses always play hard in New York. His defenses were fine. They kind of did all right before they, they combusted at the end, but they could just never find a quarterback. He walks in here, stabilizes one side of the ball, and then he just has to find his whiz kid on offense to pair with because he's already got his QB. So uh, I'd be interested in Todd Bowles, honestly, if um, if we were going to that Tampa Bay coaching tree. Possible, you know, but, again, that kind of shifts to a defensive guy right. as your head coach, and then you got to go, you know, I don't, I, again, if you if you go with an established or a proven coach, and you say, okay, I'm going to hire a Biennemi or Leftwich and offensive coordinator. First, you've got to convince them to leave fantastic situations to right. come to uh, a, a job you could be out of in a year um, under Urban Meyer's kind of situation. So I don't know if they would leave for a lateral move. Uh, I think they have a, a They pretty, have to be going to head coach. Yeah, pretty dynamic situations where have they're at now. Have to be the head coach. I mean, there's no chance Biennemi or Leftwich walks out of their situation if it's not the head coach. Yeah, I agree. And um, so I, I think both of them would definitely consider, at the very least, the head coaching position. I mean, both of them are working under aging head coaches who will be considering retirement at some point. So uh, it's always possible that they could have some sort of backdoor deal that, well, hey, Bruce Arians is going to retire in a year or two and I'm going to take over in Tampa, or Andy Reid's going to step down in a year or two and Eric will take over in, uh, in Kansas City. So there's possibilities of those sorts of things, but – I think both of them, you definitely have to at least throw heavy consideration yes. out there if you are going to get offered a What about a Josh position. McDaniels? Is, oh, I love Josh. Is, I'd, in is a he a guy that would leave the cocoon of New England? He's tried it before. So I and think it, it's funny you mention that because during our conversation with Shad, unprompted, he brought up New England and Mac Jones and what they were able to do and the way they surrounded him with talent in, in the roster up there and basically saying the Patriots were a different kind of machine. Um, and it was just a completely different situation. Well, um, Josh McDaniels is from uh, is from there, and he's spent a lot of time there. I don't think Josh would come here, personally. Mm-hmm, I agree. I don't think he would. If he would, I think he's your home run hire. I think Josh has worked with a number of different young quarterbacks. He's shown he is a bright offensive mind. Uh, you hope that he learned a thing or two from the debacle that was in Denver, but 
even then, I mean, he's the one that engineered Tim Tebow's touchdown pass to Demarius Thomas. Rest in peace. But, uh, you know, uh, I, if Josh McDaniel would leave that cushy gig there, I mean, that would be ideal. But he's another one that, you know, possibly has a backdoor deal done. To, to, to be a head coach and waiting. Exactly. To, to yes. take over in New England when Belichick, you know, hangs it up. Because Belichick is getting is closer to retirement than mm-hmm. he is the start of his career. So, and what better place? Like, if you were going to wait for a job. Yes, absolutely. You know? Yes. So, uh, so I, I don't think he's coming here. I just don't. I think you're going to have to. I think this is an attractive job. I think you can have the creme de la creme, but I think Josh McDaniels knows the situation he's in. I think he knows that, I mean, he spurned the Colts, and you don't want to be left at the altar the way Indianapolis was. Yeah, they did, was. exactly, and it worked out well. For, uh, Frank Reich did well for the Colts, right. but oh, you know, he's done a good the thing. Colts at the time were a far better situation than Jacksonville. Uh, you know, I think even, maybe even now, I don't, I don't know how comparable those two jobs are at that point in time when McDaniel uh, spurned the Colts and kind of left them at the altar. And Jacksonville now, yeah, you got Trevor Lawrence, no state income tax, a patient owner. Um, but again, man, I, I don't know if you, if I'm Josh McDaniels, even the chance to come and coach Trevor Lawrence and and kind of build something down here with a longer leash, I think than uh, than you'd have anywhere else. I just don't think – I would not leave personally. You would have to give him full – I mean, he'd have to get full Urban Meyer call carte blanche. I mean, probably general manager power or, you know, the ability to pick the general manager he works with kind of deal um, and, and really be able to do whatever he wanted. I just don't see that happening. I think we – you know, the Jaguars end up with – a upcoming coordinator I mean if you want to talk about previous head coaches like who's out there like Josh McDaniels is out there Dennis Allen I mean Marvin Lewis is catching a little bit of steam uh maybe Lovey Smith has rehabbed his uh his image a little bit as he's the defensive coordinator for the Texans these days um I mean Todd Bowles I'm trying to think there's just not many former offensive you know former head coaches that are offensive specialists Mm -hmm. that you really want to get out there. I mean, I'd definitely be interested in any coaches that get fired this year, bringing them in as coordinators. I mean, you can see what Dan Quinn's infused into that Dallas defense this year. I mean, if the Vikings decide to fire Mike Zimmer, oh, sign me up as the defensive coordinator right now. Bring him down here. I don't care who the head coach is. Tell him we're hiring that guy. And that's one thing, like, I, you know, fans are really hard on Shad because the team's been bad Mm -hmm. since he's bought him. I get it. But, like, I get it, you're upset that the Urban Meyer thing backfired. But a lot of fans were excited about Urban when mm-hmm. he hired him. And it's not like this was a cheap out move. He paid Urban yes. big money to come here. So, like, you, you have to understand, like, at the very least, you have an owner who says, I'm dedicated to this city, I'm going to keep the team here, and I'm going to throw as much money as it takes at it, and I'm going to try and bring in the right person and give them time to fix this thing. Because I want to He win. did that with Urban. And he that gave, was oh, he perfect, gave him more time was, than any of us would have. That was a perfect <laughs> example of Shad willing to spend, and it was higher with red flags at the time, yep. but that was Shad's guy. He was the hot college commodity, and Shad spent to the moon, even though we don't know how much he paid. There were rumors that Urban wanted no less than $9 million a year to come and coach, and he probably got a six-year deal, possibly. Uh, so that's a lot of money for Shad mm-hmm. to throw out. And, you know, the, all the uh, the enhancements, the um, new facility, the training facility and stuff. I mean, he invested some uh, some time and some cash and some, uh, some future 
cash into yeah. getting Urban Meyer here and right. really saying, hey, let's change the identity of this franchise. So I don't think it's uh, I don't I just don't think it's a, a cheap out move by Shad Khan. Um, I think it's just hiring the right guy. And Urban Meyer obviously was not that right. No. Guy. And he thought he was. And I, I like this is what Shad wants. Shad wants a figurehead in place. He wants a CEO that's going to run this engine. He tried to get it with Tom Coughlin. He tried again to get it with Urban. And I think he's going to try a third time and hope he gets it right that the third time's a charm. He wants someone who's going to come in here. I have a vision for this team. I have a vision for this franchise and who's going to be hands-on and build it. And Shad said the other night that he still has technical roster control, even though that's more of a a figurehead thing than anything. He wants to make sure that a, a Jalen Ramsey situation doesn't happen again, so he has the final say-so of if they're offering a contract to a player. But he's not running the day-to-day. But he said he wants someone to come in and earn him to not have to worry about it and to, to be ha- that hands-off owner, which he, he's trying. And now you have to look for it. And to me, if I'm a, a coach, if I'm an Eric B. Enemy, if I'm a Josh McDaniels, that's appetizing. All right, you got an owner that wants me to come in and be a vision and be his football guy. And once I win a few games, he's just going to leave me alone and let me do what I want to do, which is what other coaches have. I mean, a Mike Tomlin's unquestioned, a Sean Payton in New Orleans pretty much unquestioned, Bill Belichick pretty much unquestioned. Like, you have to earn it. And he wants to do that. He's not yep. going to be a Jerry Jones who's always just going to be no. meddling away. He no. wants to he won't just come in, win some games, and he's going to leave you gonna, alone. You're going you're gonna to be the king of uh, king of Khan's castle. That's it. That. I mean, he might let you on yes. the yacht twice a year. He might let you have it for a little bit. So I, I think this is going to be a highly sought-after job. I think um, I just don't think Josh McDaniel's the guy. I don't see him leaving New England anytime soon. I could be terribly wrong, but I just don't see it happening. Um, so I think we're going to have the creme de la creme. Obviously, we'll go through these co- coaching candidates. And, and the rumors as time goes on. But uh, I think that's a, a little bit of a short hot list. There's a lot of other names out there. I mean, Tyrell Austin's been a hot one previously um, who could be considered. I mean, if you there, there's a number of different guys that will be interested in this position and that I'm sure Shad will be interviewing for this position. Uh, I think our short list, we, we landed on, he doesn't have to be a former head coach. He has to be offensive minded, yes. and he needs to be. He has to be from the NFL. Yes. Those are our must haves. Yes. Um, I, I don't think you can convince a fan base right no. now that hey, this is a great guy. That Lincoln Riley is my guy. You know, <laughs> I, the, I don't, the Jags fans would revolt. I, I was in Tennessee when they tried to to uh, hire Greg Schiano, and I saw that fan base revolt. I'm. I feel that same combustion. It was a coup. Here. It was a coup that got rid of Greg Schiano, <laughs> yeah. you know, and that uh, I think the same thing would happen. Maybe not Lincoln Riley. Maybe, I mean, Cliff Kingsbury's done well in Dabo Arizona. Sweeney. Yeah, Dabo. <laughs> yeah. So Dabo would be dealing with NFL players making less than high school kids who are signed with colleges now, and so uh, Dabo's not a fan of that. So I don't think Dabo is a guy to come to to uh, to the NFL at all. He's got it too good. There. No, he's not leaving. Uh, that's just a joke. I mean, people have been throwing out that they would like to see. Um, Elliott, the offensive coordinator at Clemson, reunited with Trevor Lawrence at some point. I don't see it happening, but I mean, uh, people have thrown it out there, and it would be a continuity move for mm-hmm. Trevor, a comfort, a comfort move that I'm sure he would appreciate. But I think he'll be happy with any sort of offensive-minded head coach that comes in. You know, I've been a proponent of Joe Brady in the past. Obviously, uh, him and the Panthers parted ways for more reasons than one, but maybe if we get an offensive-minded head coach, Joe Brady comes in as the OC or even the quarterback's coach. Okay, how about devil's advocate? 
Daryl Bevel leads this team to four wins down the stretch. Does Fire. he does he no. get offensive or coaching consideration? No, not a lick. No, not a lick. You can't fix it in four, it, four games. I don't care. Even if you flip the switch and they start putting up forty points a game, no. They, you need to take this thing down to the studs. The problem is that you got to get rid of Trent. Like Trent's a nice guy, but he's not real well liked around the NFL, and he's not he's kind of tight on the purse strings, as you can see by the amount of cap space that he didn't spend last offseason. He built this roster for this year. It's bad. It's bad. So Trent's got to go. Like it, this is time to take it down to the studs. I mean, Bevel has been around the NFL, but you can't stink it up on offense all year long. Your number one overall pick stink it up, and then say, "Oh well, I, I led him to four wins. I should be the head coach." No, get out. I'm sorry. The only coach that I the coaching staff, the half that I feel for, bad for, the defensive half. Yeah, defensive Joe Cullen. I, this is his first time getting a shot to be a defensive coordinator. Been a long time NFL coach, and he he figured it out. He figured it out. The defense started playing well, and then now he's very likely going to be shown the door with the rest of the Jaguars coaching staff. And it, realistically, it's just because it's so hard to sell somebody on, hey, you can come in and bring your own offensive guys, but I got these defensive guys that I'm just going to keep here. Sanjay like, Law, George Warhop's day? No. <laughs> oh, goodness, people hate Sanjay Law. It's so bad. Not, a, not a popular assistant there. No, not at all. They need to do a much better job, and I, that's why I like the Kellen Moore. I mean, it's a little bit more of the NBA approach, in my opinion. I think, you know, a lot of NBA coaches now are former players that are the younger younger variety because in the NBA players do have a little bit more voice and power. And the Kellen Moore move that I, I prefer is a little bit of that because right now one of the things that went probably went into the consideration of whether they should keep Urban or not is players around the NFL talk. And players weren't going to want to come here during free agency. It's the same thing as why they got rid of Tom Coughlin after right. his issues with the excessive fines. The NFLPA got in and basically said, hey, we're going to warn free agents not to come to Jacksonville, no matter what you throw at them. Right. Because they can't. This is a toxic work environment. Once that made its way to Shad and started getting out in the rounds. Tom Coughlin was gone. That's it. And, I mean, I think that's what it bo- part of what it boils down to. So I said, you know, hey, Kellen Moore, former player, players like him want to play for him. And you bring that in, and he's able to help market your team. You need a general manager that is liked by agents, so agents want to get their guys to Jacksonville to be a part of what's being built. And until people see that, and you have to have the established personalities. As from what I've heard, Eric Bieniemy is very well liked. I mean, we know that from Deshaun Watson being upset enough about them not hiring Bieniemy that he didn't want to be a part of the Texans organization. So he would be a good move. Dabo, I've never heard anybody say anything bad about him. He'd be a good one. Um, how about uh, what's our guy in Green Bay that used to be here in Jacksonville? Oh. Offensive coordinator? Offensive coordinator, that's it. Is it uh, Nathaniel Hackett? That's it, Nathaniel, Nathaniel Hackett. Hackett. Aaron Rodgers, he's got the Aaron Rodgers mm-hmm. co-sign, and um, players love playing for him. He'd be another guy. You want someone that players are going to want to play for because while the dollars and cents matter, the salary cap goes up every year. Yes, Teams know how to fudge these contracts. The Saints never seem to have cap space but always seem to always sign guys. Always put a guys. team on the field with the same guys out so, there. So you can have all this cap space in the world, 
but you got to know how to maneuver it, and you got to have guys that want to come and play for you and want to be there. I mean, that's the, the end-all, be-all. Like, players don't want to play for a guy who's going to kick them and tell them I can kick them whenever I want to because I'm the coach. No. You want Dan Campbell. Those Lions teams are losing games, but those guys will run through a brick wall yeah, for that absolutely. guy. He's quirky, and the media loves him because he says all kinds of crazy stuff in his press conferences, but Dan Campbell's a former player, and to those guys in the locker room, they know he knows what they're going through, and he knows from his experience the things to say to inspire those guys, and they will run through a brick wall. They're not worried about if they're losing. They're losing because that roster's bad. They're not losing because they're not playing hard. So you need a Dan Campbell. I am almost say follow that lead. You take a Dan Campbell, former player, Kellen Moore, situation, give him what he needs, put some mentorship around him, and you get him a good GM, and y'all go build the thing. Got to. And yeah, Shot has tried the different strategies in his time here. The Mike Malarkey, uh, you know, former coach there. Doug Marone, former coach in Buffalo. Yeah. My um, go-to is the Scott McVay approach or what the Rams did. You hire the guy a little bit before he's ready because by the time he's ready, he's already he's got a gone. job. He's, he's gone. gone. So now everybody's hiring somebody that shook hands with Scott McVay. Mm-hmm. No, they're not going to be Scott McVay because he's Scott. Sean McVay. Sean McVay. I'm calling the whole wrong name. <laughs> Sean McVay. But n- the point is... You can't wait till the guy's ready because by the time he's ready, somebody else took a chance on him. Right. You have to hire him a little bit before and then know that you have the right structure around him for him to be able to come in, succeed with the mentorship that you have because now you've got a rock star head coach who's going to lead your franchise in the future. Sean Payton, never been a head coach before when the Saints hired him. They took a little bit of a chance on the guy who'd just been a coordinator for Bill Parcells, but he had a veteran coach's cosign. And it worked out a little bit for the Saints. I mean, they got a Super Bowl out of the deal. You know, obviously Sean McVay hasn't won a Super Bowl, but he's been there. Um, You know, Bill Belichick, they took a chance on him. Not exactly the same exact feel, but how about Sean McDermott? Eventually, you got to take a chance on a guy. This guy had uh, bounced around. He was a defensive coordinator in Philly. He was the defensive coordinator in Carolina. And the Bills took a chance on him. He was a younger candidate when he got that job. They took a chance. They put some stuff around him. And he's missed the playoffs one out of five years, basically, that he's been head coach. You look for a guy that other coaches respect. If this guy's earned the coach's respect, he's probably doing something right. Like, coaches don't just like guys, you know what I mean? Like, they want a guy who's going to go in there, grind with them, and do the right things in order to win. Dan Campbell was widely liked by players and coaches. I mean, even after he was the interim in Miami, he was widely liked and, and re- well-respected in the coaching ranks. That's how he walked out of an uh, a interim role into a job with the Saints as an assistant head coach and tight ends coach. Like, that's a strange combination, mm-hmm. you know? And he was a guy that actually had played for New Orleans at one point. So you know he was a guy that's been carrying himself the right way since his playing days. Same thing with Kellen Moore. He's always been relatively well-respected. Players like him. Jerry Jones didn't want to let him out of the building even when he turned over the staff and supposedly Mike McCarthy banged the table saying he wanted to keep Moore as his OC. So, and, and Mike McCarthy... One of the better, like he gets, uh, he gets a lot of grief about his play calling, but he's one of the better play callers in the NFL. He's been calling plays for, forever, mm-hmm. and he turned over his playbook and said, "Hey, Kellen, you can call these plays." And that that speaks of that's respect, confidence. That's yeah, respect. that's confidence. You right need there. that. You need somebody who can, who has the respect of others, and who can earn the respect of players, and that they're gonna want to run through a brick wall for. And. You know, Dan Dan Campbell's that guy, you know. That's exactly who he is. And the Jaguars haven't had that. Doug Marone was a nice dude, but he wasn't like a player's head coach. He wasn't like a a, a guy who had won enough that his resume just spoke for itself. 
he wasn't a guy that guys wanted to run through a brick wall for. And, I mean, what, before that, Gus was liked. Very well liked. He was well liked, yeah. but it just didn't work out. You know, sometimes it doesn't work out, and sometimes it does. Yeah, I mean, there are different styles. I think this time around, since Jacksonville has been so washed with guy, with coaches and, and front office staff that have pushed players away, it's time to bring in somebody who's going to draw players in. And that's that's my mindset. I think that they should focus on some sort of candidate that is just universally well liked. So maybe not a maybe not a Josh McDaniel. Maybe if if that's the case, he doesn't necessarily fit because he's not that just well liked around the league kind of kind of figure. And the Jags need that because they've had trouble winning, and that's trouble to attract good free agents to want to come for money. Like guys take discounts to go places where they can win. It's just unbelievable that we went through this. You know, at this time last year, man, the excitement about Trevor and wrapping up that number one draft pick, and you knew Maroon was going to be gone. Caldwell was already gone uh, at this point last year, and you knew something good was right around the corner. And right now, you don't know that something is good right around the corner. It feels, you know, I, I'd hate to be a Jaguar season ticket sales rep right now trying to start up the resales here soon and saying, hey, you know, we have a new era launching in 2022. Come join us. Here's mm-hmm. a great ticket package. It's the same so, pitch from last year. It's the same script. Yeah. It's the same script. And not after after striking out and failing so miserably with Urban Meyer and Trevor Lawrence has had a down year, the offense has been pitiful. What are you going to use the sales pitch on? Man, it's going to be rough. But, okay, it's about time for us to wrap this thing up. I'm, let's wrap up with, with a question. It's a hard one. The Jaguars are probably going to have either the number one or number two pick, a new head coach coming in. You still have Trevor Lawrence. Uh, the top about three players are widely considered to be Evan Neal, your left tackle, or Aiden Hutchinson or Kayvon Thibodeau. Which one of them do you want? If I mean, let's say Hutchinson and Hutchinson, let's say you have your pick of the three. Do you go with the left tackle to protect Trevor's blind side, or do you go with the the players that are considered to be a, a little bit of a notch ahead that help the defense? Yeah, it, it's so tough here because I think it depends on where you land. If you're, you're number one, I think you go absolutely best player available, and I think that's probably Aiden Hutchinson right now. Yeah. Um, if you're at number three, I think you're probably maybe an Evan Neal kind of guy. Um, and Thibodeau, I think, is in that number two spot. So, um, you know, Jacksonville's, I mean, both of that, both sides of the ball are in need of a makeover. I mean, you need some pass rushing help. Caleb on Chason's been a disappointment. Josh Allen has been good, but he needs help. Um, so, Kayvon and Aiden Hutchinson both fill that role. But, man, that offensive line has been anemic. The, at least the defense has made strides this year. The offensive line has gotten worse, I think, by the week, yeah. um, along with that entire offense. You're, you're talking, you know, Cam's on the franchise tag. Jawan Taylor has, has been a turnstile at times. Um, Andrew Norwell, disappointing. Brandon Linder, banged up. Can't count on him. So I think you probably have to invest in that offensive line. You know, I know Cam Robinson, the last time they went offensive line out of Alabama in the second round, Cam has been, you know, an average to maybe a tick above average offensive tackle. Um, But you're going to have to reinvest in that offense. And I think it starts on that offensive line. You got to keep Trevor healthy. Um, I think you probably. You know, if you're in that number three slot, you probably got to invest in Evan Neal. Otherwise, if you're up higher, I think you've got to um, really consider best player available, and I think that's those two defensive uh, pass rushers. Yeah, it's going to be an interesting conversation we'll have to have in the weeks moving forward as we look toward the draft. Uh, I'd really like, I really like Hutchinson. I think he's going to end up going number one overall. And Thibodeau is not a bad constellation prize, but there's a, a wonderful argument to be made of you got to protect Trevor. You gotta need that left him. tackle. Uh, the coaching staff that selected 
Walker Little is now gone, so that that pick doesn't look as a uh, foreshadowing of he's the future anymore because the new coaching staff won't know this dude. When George so, Warhop is back in 2022, never, again, never. again it, the, uh, the offensive the line should be completely revamped for next season. It will be because uh, Juwan Taylor will likely be back, Ben Barch will be back, but outside of that, there's no guarantees. Yeah, I, I think, yeah, I think you're starting over at another left tackle. Yep. Um, I think Cam's gone after this year unless he's back on a budget deal, and I don't think that's possible. No, he'll take a contract somewhere else. Norwell will probably get cut for salary cap reasons. Linder might be moved past because of injury reasons. AJ Can's a free agent. So, I mean, outside of Barch and Taylor, nobody's a guarantee. Yeah, I think back. after next year, they're all off the books. Yep. You know, I think after 2022, every starting offensive lineman on this year's team is their contract is gone. That's so, um, you're going to have to address that. I mean, receiver help, tight end help, offensive line. I think, you know, you split that in any any which way. You can ask three different people and get three different answers, but I think those are the three biggest needs on offense right now. All right, yeah. So it, the good thing is they have a ton of cap space, and the new head coach, if they listen to us and get an offensive guy, we'll get to get the guys that pick his scheme on offense. We'll see how all this shakes out. We'll check in with you with another episode of the News for Jags podcast as things continue to progress. For now, I'm Jamal St. Cyr, and that's Justin Barney. Thanks for tuning in.